Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, my voice sounds better in the last two or three hours, but I am still uh, just kind of getting back to full speed after Sunday night. I uh, I left it all in the stands, my man. It was a hell of an evening. I don't know if I've had that much fun in, I, I really don't, that's seven years. I mean, it was, Saturday was one of the most fun days that I can remember. It was just brilliant. Everything from... Uh, you and I had a par- hilarious parking story that I don't think it would be our listeners would find all that funny, but it was hilarious. And uh, long story short, a member of the staff was in a parking space that we were supposed to go into, and it was a, a very funny situation. Um, we found out who it was. Yeah, I, yeah, I had a pretty good chuckle. <clears throat> um, that was that was awesome, man. I mean, like, it started Friday night with our sponsors, uh, Charlie Park, Charlie Park. Charlie Park, y'all. They they they're a sponsor. Uh but that place is really cool and something that you should uh add to your list. We spent the day with the Louisiana hot sauce guys, uh took them straight to Mad So because where what else would you do? It was just a incredible day. The game was a hell of a game and something that we're real excited to talk about tonight. So this should be a this should be a fun episode, all things considered. That was a good time, Matt. It's like, hey. Let's get like six burgers and threw down a case of beers on the uh, on the table, and we just posted it up. And you know, it was perfect. I got, got to see everybody who came came and see us. You know, support the sponsors and, and support the show. Had a couple of folks listen to us since 2011, so really really cool. And they were talking about old episodes. That was fun. But a ton of Patreons too throughout the weekend, which was a lot of fun. So uh, did, all man. thanks. Just just great to walk around. Great to have that opportunity back. You know, walking around the stadium. Uh, 70,000 people, whatever the capacity of the stadium is now. Um, it was just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So hopefully yeah, the voice holds up because we've got a whole lot of questions and a whole lot of things to talk about tonight. I had a little bit of late coffee today. Uh, I, I, I knew I would kind of need the afterburners to kick in and uh, post pot will probably crash pretty well tonight, but I'm ready to go. We have so many questions. I We normally don't do show review with mailbag style. But I do want to get to what everybody's questions are first. Uh, the instant react went a little bit longer than I normally do it. So we're going to do this show question style tonight. I do have some additional notes I'll, I'll pop in. And I'm just going to cross some things off my list that I want to talk about. And eventually, when uh, uh, you know we eventually when, when we get out of the questions, if I have anything that hasn't been crossed off yet, I will uh, I'll have to talk about it and we'll do it. Let's go. So Morat leads us off tonight. <clears throat> he says to repeat one of Ingram's favorite idioms. Let's not get too far out over our skis yet. We've all witnessed a much improved, motivated, and better talented Seminole football team. However, do you remember the NC, the NC, uh, the UNC game last year? It was followed by a disastrous loss against Louisville. We have much to be hopeful for, but let's take it one game at a time. On that note, are you guys still sticking with your six and six or five and seven prediction? If FSU wins three out of the next four games against JSU, Wake Forest, Louisville, and Syracuse, where do you predict we will end the year? So, um, okay, so there's a little bit more to this. Sorry, uh, I think he's six and six unless UNM implodes and Manny Diaz is fired. Maybe then we can end with a record around seven and five. Um, so, yeah, it's a good question, Marat. Appreciate it. I, I will say that uh, I have upgraded my projection. For all the rest of the games, I've increased FSU's power rating. Um, however, they they no longer get a point two or point two three 
like I had them in my season projections for the Notre Dame game. They get a 0.0 because that game is now done. So I am upgrading the remaining games. My overall win projection is staying the same. I think I'm still kind of there at 5.7. You know, if you want to make it 5.8, I could see an argument for that. Uh, This is one of the things I had on my list, right? Talking about what we saw in some other teams. I didn't really think we'd lead off the show with this, but I think it's kind of interesting to do so. You had a lot of teams at FSU plays this weekend that did not look, or who over the weekend maybe did not look quite so good. Andrew. Um, last night, we saw Louisville really struggle to replace some of their passing options. Their run game at times looked good, but their, their passing game just didn't look like where it needed to be uh, at all. I think after viewing that game, you feel like this FSU game uh, against them is a little more winnable, right? Wake Forest, it's one game. They struggled to run the ball somewhat against Old Dominion. Obviously, they put up a bunch of points and they, they, they won going away. That'll still be a difficult game, in my opinion. North Carolina, a game which I had in the very difficult category. I expected North Carolina's offensive line and defensive line to make a jump. And honestly, it's one game. I don't know that they have so far. They didn't look like they made a jump against Virginia Tech, a, a Vitech team that, that you know, looks pretty, pretty decent so far. Miami got absolutely crushed by Alabama. At the same time, I mean, I think Bama could beat this FSU team by 70 if it wanted to. So like, I, I have a hard time judging exactly how good or bad Miami is just based on what Alabama did to them because it's, it's Bama. And that does seem to happen <clears throat> in those opening games. Uh, NC State looked like the team I kind of feared they would be. A really good team. They beat the crap out of USF, and they they could have run it up a lot more had they wanted to. Florida, I think, will play Richardson by the end of the year, and I believe that that staff thinks he's the better quarterback long term. I just don't think he operates the offense quite as well as they need him to. And Boston College played an FCS team. They largely took care of business. I think they had three defensive scores, so it's kind of hard to tell. But that'll still be a difficult game. Right now, I'm going to stick with that 5.7. So, you know, bowl, slightly more likely than not making a bowl. I think that's fair. If you anybody out there, if you really want to go 4-8 and eight now, I kind of think you're just being a hater for no reason after seeing some of the defensive line stuff that we saw. Like, to me, that's the one thing that really has probably sticking power is that a defensive line FSU showed. Not that they're going to play with that level of intensity and effort every game. That's hard to sustain. It's Bobby Bowden night, home opener, big-time atmosphere. I don't think those guys are going to get shoved around a whole lot. They, they have some talent up front. It was tough for me to judge how much talent they really had up front because not only were they going against FSU's offensive line in practice, which has made a whole lot of guys practice All-Americans on the defensive side of the ball, but also, as we know, a lot of the first-string offensive line was gone for a lot of camp for you know, various reasons, contact tracing and whatnot, some injuries, et cetera. Um, so it's kind of hard to tell. But after playing against Notre Dame's line, which doesn't have a lot of continuity but does have a lot of talent, I, I'm pretty sure this this defensive line uh, could be one of the better ones in the ACC. And we were kind of bullish on them going in, certainly more bullish than some of the, the ACC power ratings had them entering the seasons. But yeah, to, to answer Rod's question, I am going to go ahead and stick with my projection for now. The, the problem with his, his question, though, is, hey, if they win three out of their next four against Jacksonville State, Wake Forest, Louisville, and Syracuse, that's not like, that's kind of the expectation, right? Is winning three out of the next four. Overachieving would, would be sweeping that. Yeah. Uh, if you win, I'm not really into adjusting a whole lot of things after one game because too many 
bad extrapolations are made, both about your team and teams that you're going to see on your schedule. But if you go through and you win uh, Wake Forest and Louisville, I'd have no problem with you adjusting your expectations simply because when we did this, I think both of us had that somewhere around 0.48 to 0.58 for both of those games. Well, just as you can take the back the point two or point two nine, whatever I, I had, and you had out because you didn't get a win against Notre Dame, then I would have no problem with you adding a win to your expectations because you got two games that barely equaled up to one win. Uh, so if you're able to go through this, uh, you know, Jacksonville State's whatever Wake Forest game is as important as we thought it was going to be going into the year, and then if Louisville is what they look like in Week One. And yeah, if we're sitting here doing an instant react and you're three and one, then I think it's more than appropriate to kind of start to change your predictions to the positive. Um, and that is probably when I'll start to do it. I think that's fair. Uh, here's the other thing you, you got to think about, right? Is we don't know if what we saw from some of these teams is the actual level of these teams, right? Is, is what we saw at Florida State, is that the level that they're actually going to play, play at this year? Is that at the upper end of their range? Is it at the lower end of their range? That Louisville team we saw play on Monday night. Is that like the middle? Is that what we think Louisville's going to look like on average? Or is that like the best Louisville's going to look? Or is it the worst Louisville's going to look? We really don't know where some of these outcomes fall within the range. We only have one data point. So we can say, hey, Louisville looked like crap. They did. They absolutely did. And based on one game, if you want to just use a one-game sample set, you got to be feeling really confident as an FSU fan. However, I also have a data point that says last year, Louisville beat you by 40. So there is that. Um, just saying, it's, it's a little too early to overreact. There's a lot of positive things to take away from that game. And there were a lot of reminders uh, that there's some struggles as well. Yeah. Chad asked us a couple questions tonight. Uh, Chad was part of the crowd at uh, Charlie Park on Friday night. And uh, like we said, that is a hell of a spot. Chad says, I believe Milton deserves the chance to show what he can do. <clears throat> I'd go with a 75-25 snap mix of Milton-Travis going forward, assuming Milton's leg can handle it. Thoughts on that mix? Travis is a good change of pace, but I don't think it really works the same if you flip-flop them and Travis takes 20, 75% of the snaps. Travis just doesn't throw well enough uh, when there seems to be pocket pressure. Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't know what I want to do there uh, as far as QB yet, to be honest. Um, look, they started Jordan Travis for a reason. Mackenzie Milton was not good in fall camp. There were days where he was not even the second best quarterback in fall camp, I mean, to the extent that he was even at fall camp. I do think that, first of all, I think there are a lot of outcomes here. Number one, Mackenzie Milton could end up being very good. Okay, that's certainly possible. I was very happy I took him in the snap count draft. I figured he was a nice wild card. If he does end up staying healthy and if he really somehow gets it together, maybe he could be really good. Uh, however, there is also some potential downside risk here. We don't know how he's going to handle pressure, right? So Chad's question presupposes that he handles pressure well, but Notre Dame only blitzed him, I believe, on one of seven dropbacks. They really weren't blitzing him. They weren't bringing, bringing a whole lot of pressure. They also to me, it looked like Notre Dame had a tremendous plan for Jordan Travis and executed it really well. They kept him bottled up for the most part in the pocket. Uh, when he when he did scramble out of the pocket, he had to really really lose ground quite a bit to to get out. Part of that, I'd like to you know, see him stay in the pocket better. But Notre Dame had a really good plan. 
To me, it looks like they continue to play that plan against McKenzie Milton, but there's no reason to, to respect McKenzie Milton's legs to that extent. If teams get the idea that McKenzie Milton is going to be a starter going forward, for instance, like if he wins the job or, or you know earns the, the primary share, teams will play McKenzie Milton differently. His arm's not real strong. He has a very quick release, but the actual arm strength is not great, right? I mean, he you, know, you saw that on a couple of those throws that, that, were, that were going horizontal. I think they'll play him differently. And I, I this is going to sound crazy, but one game, seven throws, should not trump what you've seen in practice out of both these guys. However, you don't want to ignore one game, right? Jordan Travis did not anticipate throws very well. He did not handle pressure in the pocket all that well, and the offense did not operate very well with him in there. Mackenzie Milton did have success. I do think sample set is a major caveat here that we need to keep looking at, but you brought him as a transfer for a reason, because the, the offense's upside, I think, with him is potentially higher if he can play at that really high level, man. Um, but I'll also note, what do you want this offense to be? Like, Do you want this offense to be a throwing offense? Should this offense be a throwing offense? Do you really think that they can work as a passing offense, maybe if you use a lot of the RPO stuff to where the, the backers are having to respect the throw and you're able to kind of give the ball off a little more. But to my eyes, it's a much better run-blocking offensive line than it's a pass-blocking offensive line. I know David Hale said they had the worst group of pass catchers in the ACC. He said they had a worst group of, you know, blank position group in the ACC a couple times. I think that's the one that has the greatest chance to actually be true because I like Malik McClain. I really didn't see anybody else scare you out there. Like, did you notice Andrew Parchment? Did he look like an impact guy that you got in the pressure portal? To me, no. I thought kind of Keyshawn. I, thought, I was I was positive with what I saw from Keyshawn Shelton. He looked he looked yeah. close to the pro player a couple years ago. Not sure he gets in on the what is that the two point that he has to move around there and uh, have a little bit of little bit of agility that we hadn't seen from him. Uh, yeah, no, I mean it's <clears throat> to circle back to Chad's question. First of all, and I'm. Uh, we've all lauded McKenzie for his story and his get back and the determination there. So when we talk about this, certainly, you know, we want to acknowledge what this kid's going through. Oh, yeah. I don't know that he can take more than 25, 30 snaps a game, bud. I mean, and I'm almost more sure of that having one talk to people on the staff and two, um, I sat in three different places throughout the course of the game, but I spent the vast majority of the time uh, about two rows off the sideline behind Florida State's bench. And what that kid, and other people have talked about this, so I'm not, I don't, I'm not again, talking out of school, but that kid is constantly getting, uh, you know, like electroshock. He's constantly doing things. The fair gun with the foot. Just to keep it, you know, alive and kick it uh, so that it can be there. And if he's called upon, I, I just, I think we have to realize the severity, and everybody does but realize the severity of the injury and that I don't, if you play that kid more than 20, you know, 30 snaps, 35 snaps, I don't know that you're going to have him available for the next game. I mean, I, you are really going to have to pitch count this with him and it's, it's a work in progress. I don't think, I don't think there's a game that McKenzie Milton takes 61 snaps in. And if it is, maybe it's a, you know, chips in the middle of the table and if he misses the next two games, so be it. But this is a, a real game that you think you got to get. It's uh, it's a great story. I saw a couple of his family members around town before the game, but I was out there um, where we park. There were there were probably thirty two family members waiting for him to come out. I mean, that was that was incredible to see. Oh, it was crazy. Love it, love it. 
but you're going to have to work with him. And uh, there's going to be some limitations that I think are going to be present throughout the course of the season. I, I think you'll need both. I really do. Um, I think Chad's point, though, is a good one that McKenzie as a changeup does not work quite as well as Jordan as a changeup because you, you want to be more of a throwing team, I think, if you can be. I don't know that this team makes a whole lot of sense to be a throwing team just based on the personnel. Uh, you do have some receivers, particularly young receivers, who are blocking. Uh, I think Josh Farrell will get more involved in that. Malik McClain blocking his butt off. Very impressive. I, I uh, What kind of odds would you give me that McClain is a three-and-out guy? Sure looks like it. Would you give me odds on it? Yeah. Or no. Oh, I would not. Yeah. I would want to take it. Let me put it better that than way. Even money. You, you can interpret that in your own yeah. Las Vegas jingo there, bud. Uh, <laughs> but our, our lingo. Uh, I don't. Um, that's a different looking dude. And I love the buy in. I mean, receivers want to catch, they want to score touchdowns, but uh, the run blocking buy in, the effort he makes, even on, even on, uh, on Corbin's touchdown. I mean, he just gets a hand to Hamilton there, pushes him off his uh off his trajectory of pursuit, and it's a hell of a hell of an effort. Um number eleven's a, a damn good player and look forward to what you can do with him. No doubt. Um Chad's other questions here. Uh so he asked a similar one that Marat did as far as based on how we played, what's your win loss for the year? Uh so keeping that the same, but I've I've adjusted all our games you know, up slightly, just the Notre Dame game is now off the table. Uh, how do you think this game impacted recruiting? Chad, three pretty good questions here. So thoughts on Coleman, Pritchett, Armella, Skinner, Kelly, etc. Um, well, talk a couple different people about this and I do have some thoughts. Kevin Coleman, we have him as a five-star on 24-7 Sports. I should probably know this going on. Uh, I think you still do. Yeah. Oh, Kevin Coleman, really speedy receiver out of the St. Louis era. And, uh, man, legit player. I've seen him. He can go both ways. Saw him do some seven-on-seven stuff. Seems to play pretty hard. Very speedy guy. I feel good. Composite five-star. You guys have most four-star, excuse me. Uh, but like a top 100 type kid, for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, top 50, I think. Nationally, you've got him at 19. Okay. Well, so he's border. He's, he's as close as you can get to being a being a five star, and we end up with uh, we end up with thirty two five stars. Okay, so, okay. You know, if he holds on to nineteen, then yeah, I think the staff feels good. I feel like they showed him a couple things. Number one, they showed him the ability to get the ball in the hands of the receivers in some creative ways. Get that two point conversion, which I thought was nice. They, they let Jakai Douglas go deep, showcase the deep speed there. A lot of different screen varieties that Coleman could catch and and, and do very well with. I, they made a great impression on him from everything I understand. I think they're in a good spot there. Obviously, Oregon's in this. You know, there's a couple other teams that are kind of in this. Depends on when he actually wants to, uh, you know, wants to go public with his decision. But I feel like FSU is in a very good spot here. Uh, that uh, of the guys who are on campus, I think that is uh, the guy who maybe they you know made the best uh, impression with. Although I look, we talked about this in, in the post game. There's a whole lot of guys he did a very nice job with. A very nice job. Um, Jalen Brown, the 2023 receiver. They feel like they're doing a really good job with him. He's fast as hell. South Florida kid. They need to re reload that receiver room. We know 22 is not a good year for receivers in the state. For the most part, 23 is a very nice year for receivers in the state. And they seem to be making a very nice impression 
on one of the best there. Uh, Elijah Pritchett, what I was told is this. We've done everything we can. We have told you guys we have not BSed about this. We said FSU is going to be in a position to be in it for a lot of really good recruits this year that maybe otherwise, with its likely record, it would not be able to be in for. Because you're, you knew you are going to be able to take a whole class. There are some guys you're going to be able to push for and be in on early. And kids do value being in, in early on. It makes that early impression. You're, you have that longstanding relationship, whereas other schools are still kind of figuring out their board. How many spots will we have, et cetera. FSU was in a unique position to leverage the class size that it has. Now, Pritchett is a kid that a lot of schools would certainly take. I believe this is a, a battle between Florida State and Alabama. And look, if Bama really wants to push, we see this all the time, right? When you see Steve Wolfong on the message boards, he puts in a crystal ball somewhere, fan base gets really excited. All of a sudden, Bama decides 36 hours before, hey, we actually do really want this kid. Kid goes to Bama. Fans say, Steve, what happened? Like, look, man, you know Bama can turn up the heat on a guy a little bit extra. And that's not like a negative reference. It's just like, hey, like they, they finally decided, all right, we, we really do want him. They're a push. Florida State 25 years ago. I mean, They're on a different level right Florida now. Florida State would get involved with a kid in December and sign him in February. And that's... Uh, it's just a different game. So, yeah. And he's an, well, he's not, excuse me, he's not an Alabama kid. He's four miles from the Alabama. In fact, he's probably less than four miles from the Alabama border. And a lot of people in that part of the state are Alabama or Auburn fans as much as they are anything. So, um, Carver Columbus is pretty much Bama. Yeah. So, look, they believe they've done everything they could possibly do. They think they're in a very good spot. Um, you got to stay on the guy. And you got to play the waiting game. It's definitely not a lock. But, I mean, Alex Atkins has a really good relationship with him. I know some other staffers do as well. He he brought the whole... Uh, he brought a lot of people with him, which is always yeah. a good sign. Uh, and that was a, it was a great atmosphere and a great opportunity to make an impression on the broader family. Exactly. I mean, got, got to take some photos just in case you know you do decide. That you want to pull the trigger for your edit. Um, let me see. Who else does Chad want to know about here? Uh, some guys, by the way, that that he didn't ask about. If I can bring up real fast. Did you see LSU over the weekend? I did. Yes. Kind of looked a whole lot like LSU last year. If they keep looking like that, LSU fans probably not going to be real patient. I wouldn't think. Because uh, it kind of looks like a Gene Chizik type, type situation. Mm-hmm. If LSU were to have a problem, you know, man, they got some dudes. Mario Tolan, remember that name? FSU linebacker recruiting not going very well right now. They're almost certainly going to have to hit the portal for one after this year. Mario Tolan, maybe have him back if uh, if you had a coaching change there at LSU. If that happens, not saying it will happen, but potentially somebody uh, to look at there. But Terrence Welsh, Kendrick Law, who you did have on campus, I think they did a really nice job with him. Who knows? Jake Johnson, stud tight end. Mm-hmm. His brother's a starting quarterback at LSU, but coaching change. His dad did play for the school. Who yeah. knows? I, what I'm saying is, if, uh, if LSU has a coaching change, that is not going to be a bad thing at all for the Knowles. Who else did uh, Julian Armella? Yeah, um, kind of limited feedback there. I think like they're staying in the fight. Again, we don't know how many schools Armella is actually a take at. 
Some people really questioned as to whether he's a take at some of the, the top schools on his list. And uh, I'd be one of those as well. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, I know that some of the ratings on him at some of the rating services are just really all over the board. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree with our, our 24-7 sports ranking on him. I think that's, I think he's a good player. Um, good not player. A, uh, we've not a top ex- 10 national player. expressed a certain degree of skepticism for a while. Um, yeah. Skinner. Ah, um, so Jaleel Skinner is an interesting prospect, right? Uh, she was recruiting him as a receiver. I see him as a tight end, personally. Uh, really hasn't uh, done much at IMG so far. Um, you know, I, I I don't know on that one. It'll be interesting to see where where he goes. I, I'll, I'll be I'll be curious. Just uh, it, you know, you would think throwing with AJ Duffy at IMG, he would catch more balls. And uh, you know, I didn't love him over the summer. Obviously, he's playing on the Cam Newton team. We talked about this on the episode. Their quarterback was was not very good. Didn't seem to want to throw the ball to Skinner a whole lot. But also, like, Skinner's you know, big and fast for his size. But hip-wise, I don't know. Sometimes I think I see it, and sometimes I, I don't see it. Well, I kind of see. I, I just, I, um, I don't know. There's some, there's some recruits in this class who are rated lower who I, I, I like better, I think. Um, and I think, I think FSU, by the way, likes Jarrell Powers a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, last one he has, Nigel E. Kelly. I know you, you got you got some uh, you got some positive word on this one. It's a positive word, but let's be fair. With that atmosphere, that situation, you're going to get positive word on a lot of people. You know that would certainly be the expectation. So now that we've put a little bit of objectivity into the conversation, if they sign Nigel Lee Kelly, I think it'll be the most impressive signing that they've had in five years. But uh, I think it'll be an incredible testament to evaluation, relationship. He was never a three-star. We, we were being smart asses about that seven months ago or so. I mean, the kid was never what his original recruiting was going to be. He was always going to have, you know, yeah. Kirby, Nick, everybody else in the college world get involved with the recruitment. So it would be a hell of a testament to evaluation, to consistency of relationship, and to seeing something through the whole way, getting a kid, South Florida kid, by the way, you're going to have to beat Miami too. Um, Getting him back on board, and uh, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not lighting off fireworks, celebrating this anytime soon. But I think you're in a really great place, and it's been a, again, if you sign this kid, it would it'd be as as impressive as anything you've done on the recruiting scene in quite a while. I would agree with that. Um, I do believe he did very well as far as hanging out with other recruits, and they they came away thinking, uh, I think it's pretty positive stuff on Nigel Lee Kelly. I, I think they are in a a about as good a spot as they can be there. You know, look, you you just you had a really, really good recruiting weekend, man. It's it's what you needed to get done. Uh Jerron Willis, haven't heard anything there. Um, the school he's committed to lost over the weekend to Northern Illinois, which is not great. And he was there. And it was the lowest attended opening game in 25 years. Um, it's a fan base that's never embraced Jeff Collins, or much of it has never embraced Jeff Collins. If you want this kid, and then and there, you know, I don't, I don't know this for sure. It doesn't sound like he met with Norvell. They may be, you know, it may be kind of, I don't know, slow playing or just. I would slow play. Not going to get I, fooled after again. the after yeah. what he did last time. Yeah, not I, yeah, I would get definitely slow play. If I was, if I was Norvell, but yeah. if you decide you want this kid and you can't get him and you can't beat Georgia Tech for this kid, then you you got to look yourself in the mirror, wonder what the hell is going on. Now they're not going to fire Kelly. 
or Collins, excuse me, at Georgia Tech. Uh, he's got a, for Georgia Tech and Georgia Tech's financial situation, he's got a pretty nasty contract to have to deal with. Um, but, you know, uh, selectively negative recruiting against that school right now with that schedule that they're going to face. Yes. Um, you, you should be able to win this battle if you decide it's one that you think is worth winning. I mean, Kennesaw could beat them this weekend. They very well could. Like, I'm waiting for that line to come out tomorrow morning. And um, I talked to some Georgia Tech people when I, when I was in the AC Media days. And they were like, Kennesaw could beat them. Yeah. They did not say Northern, Northern Illinois could beat them. And uh, they did. So, um, let me see. Grayson Howard was there. I feel like they're in a really good spot for him. Um, I think that's pretty much it as far as recruiting right now. Marvin Jones, obviously, there, tweeting that he loved it. Duffy, the same thing. Things seem to go pretty well this weekend, all, all things considered. I will say, by the way, um, and I'm not trying to paint the fan base with a broad brush. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. A quick PSA on recruiting sitting. If you guys don't know, they moved the recruiting section in front of the student section now. It's really cool because like the recruits get to see all the passion and typically they're, you know, by a bunch of students, which is pretty cool. And, and the energy is is high. It's it's not next to a bunch of people who are sitting down. That's all well and good. They also serve beer in the stadium now, right? Which again, good thing. You need you need the revenue. People are going to sneak in alcohol anyway. However, I will tell you this. You do not have the arm to throw a beer can as far as you think you do. In protest of a bad call, throw the birds up. Particularly empty beer cans. Yeah, right. Which, yeah. Um, Throw the birds up, launch a couple F-bombs, whatever, if it's a real bad call. Do not throw beer cans, empty beer cans, in an attempt to throw it on the field in protest of a call to where it almost hits a recruit's parent. It's just not a good experience for them, right? And Luckily, nobody got hurt or whacked, at least from, from what I was told. But, um, you know, just like, come on, fraternity guys. We have block seating back. I think that's pretty cool. I liked having block seating when I was there. But you got to be smarter now. Don't, don't throw beer cans. That's, that's dumb. All right. We're, uh, <laughs> we're getting into these yes, questions I, here. Yeah. Uh, we, we, what are we, two down? We have 14? <laughs> Yeah. All right. So Cole asks, finally, season opener has us excited about the next week and not the next season. Good point, Cole. A couple questions. Uh, first, the defense. I was very impressed with this unit. Front seven did a great job up front. And other than the blown coverage on the first touchdown, the secondary seemed to be in the right place <clears throat> most of the night, which was very refreshing. I know a lot is made about the total points and yards given up, how they were given multiple short fields. And Notre Dame had about 200 yards on four or five plays in the blown coverages. The screen, great call, and the two long touchdowns that Jay lost on jump balls. All in all, if the D-line stays healthy, I see a major improvement on this side of the ball. Okay, so not much question is observations. Agree with most of them, Cole. Uh, personally, I like sticking with Travis right now and use Milton as a change of pace. I don't think our line is ready uh, to not have a mobile QB. Do you think, here comes the questions, do you think that Travis starts next year or do you see Chuba or Duffy starting. Final question is with all the ACC teams struggling this weekend, uh, do you see, do you still see five unwinnable games? So uh, I think I'll take these in reverse order. First, I don't, I hope I didn't use the word unwinnable. I just used the word like unlikely, right? Like not, 
not coin flips, not weighted coin flips. But look, unless you think you can do to Clemson what Georgia's defense did to Clemson, that's not a winnable game for you on the road because they will shut down this offense pretty easily. Um, North Carolina, kind of up in the air. Can you play man coverage like Virginia Tech did? Can you score on them? Possibly. Miami at home, and you have to feel a little bit better about that. Florida, I I think they're going to end up with Richardson, as I said, and I I don't think they're going to win that one in in the swamp. Uh, Do I think Jordan Travis will start next year? I don't know, man. It's weird because I think he might be your best option, but he might not be. But you also want to start to show, I think, some proof of concept as to what you actually want this offense to be. You know what I'm saying? Uh, So if he does, I think he'll probably still play other guys too. I hope that's not a cop-out answer there. No, that's more more or less uh, my answer as well. I mean, it, Duffy will get an opportunity, but Duffy's got some... You can watch his high school tape and other things. He's got some things to work on. He's by no means a finished product. Um, so we have an unknown Patreon. About, oh, sorry. Yeah, so that was both of Cole's questions. Uh, it, literally, there's no name or even... It's, it's interesting. So just bl- are, blank, blank? Yeah, yeah, just blank. I love it. Uh, it's been several years since the fan base has felt good going into week two. Uh, similar point. Uh, what are the things that the fan base can look for against an average at best FCS team that we can glean as to if there's been continued progress from game one? Uh, I like That's a good question. It is. Uh, so I would say communication in the secondary during the opening script, right? Uh, that That's something I thought FSU struggled with some. Some of the rotations were a little bit late. There were clearly some plays where guys did not know their assignments. But I think on the whole, you have to say that they had far fewer of those plays uh, in, in a big game setting than they did in basically any uh, game last year. I mean, you just had fewer guys running free due to assignment bust. You did have some guys running free because they're just better players, notably, notably Michael Mayer, uh, who's better than Gant or whomever they want to put covering him. That was not a surprise. We ID that matchup as, as one they probably were not going not to be able to win there. Um, other stuff to look for this weekend. How much do they try to work the passing game? Right? Uh, here's a question for you. Let me throw this out there. You want to give Milton some reps, clearly. You're going to see Chubba. I mean, I can, I can almost certainly tell you that this weekend. Chubba gets yeah. to play some too, for sure. And, but like, do you want Milton getting hit in this game? How do you balance that? Like the, the need to, to see more of Milton in games, I think, uh, especially if you buy into the idea he's a gamer theory, which I'm not really sure I do, but I can't totally dismiss it. Uh, with also need, the need to balance, hey, let's not get this kid hurt. Uh, I would have a pre-arranged setup for this game, and I don't like doing that, but I would let the quarterbacks know so that you don't think, so that Jordan doesn't think he gets yanked, you know? Uh, so I might give Jordan the first two series and I might give McKenzie the first two series. I like that a lot. I don't need to see McKenzie Milton playing a ton against Jack State. I mean, I, I just, the, I really think you're, you know, there's only so many snaps that kid could get, in my opinion. And uh, you don't need to go burning them here. So give him, give him a chance, give him a couple uh, possessions, let him continue to try to get a little bit of rapport, game rapport, little wide receivers. And we go to, you know, we go to Central North Carolina next weekend, and uh, and hopefully he's a little bit more available for that. Um, second question is, if Florida State plays a similar game as they did against Notre Dame, what do you expect the record to be going headed headed into the game at Chapel Hill? Like 
if they play a similar game against the FCS opponent? Or what, what are we talking uh, about? Like if they, if they I keep playing at that as, level? Yeah, if they play at the level that they played against Notre Dame for the first uh, five games, or the next five games. Well, let me take a look at this. I know the next four games. Who's the next? Who's the fifth game? Well, sorry, UNC is the fifth game. It is the fifth game. Okay, that, that's right. I, I was trying to think in my head what game am I missing? Um, it's just the if they play at that level legitimately, I actually think that like four and four and zero might be more likely than three and one. Probably not. Like I understand how how the you know, that would work. It, three and one is probably the most likely there. Plus the Notre Dame loss of three and two, but if they continue to play at that level, I feel good that you have a winning record going into to the North Carolina game. Would you Would you think so? I think it's I think it's very doable. I mean, just go go get the win at Wake Forest and let's uh, let's go from there. Uh, I mean, that's that's really is this as important as we thought it was two or three months ago? Uh, and with all the optimism and the excitement and can't tell you how many people have reached out to me, Florida State fans, non-Florida State fans. Um, that's all going to be gone if you look at a record that's one and two, in my opinion. I'm not trying to be Debbie yeah. Downer or anything else, but uh, a lot. You won't lose the recruiting. You won't lose the experience that those kids had uh, and the, you know, seeing Doak like that. But you're, from the from the fan base, I think a lot of this uh, this high will be gone if you don't, uh, you know, come back to Tallahassee and are playing for your third win against Louisville. So, by the way, you will be. I like. I am not worried at all about this game this weekend. Um, Jacksonville State has a pretty good quarterback who some people think will get drafted. I don't know if I'm in that camp, but for FCS standards, he's pretty good. The talent around him this year, it ain't there. He was 17 of 34 against UAB, so 50. percent All right, whatever. For 86 yards. Mm, okay. So they threw the ball 34 times, 86 yards. Uh, so. They lost 31 to nothing. Uh, their rushing game, horrendous. I mean, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the post-Notre Dame pod talking Jacksonville State. We still have a preview pod to do. That's going to be a fun thing. How, am I, how the hell am I going to preview Jacksonville State after they just did that? Anyway, my point is, I think you'll have the freedom to rotate guys and, and to play a whole lot of players this weekend. Yeah. I want to see more Shaheen Brown, right? Like, yeah, true. I mean, could Shaheen Brown be a starter by the end of this year? I don't know, maybe. It's not crazy. It's not like your safety's dominated. I kind of liked what I saw from uh, uh, from Dent at times, but you know, we'll see. Uh, let's see. Mr. Sam has the next question here. He says, how did the Champions Club look for this game? Couldn't really tell from the broadcast, but were more of the actual seats filled for this game compared to previous seasons, or does it continue to be an eyesore? Sam is somebody that sat in the Champions League, uh, or the Champions League, yes, the Champions Club, 10 times more fans and seats than I've ever seen before. Now, one is because it's a damn night game. I mean, during the day, those are, I know they got the misters and the fans, but if you're there for a one o'clock kick or noon, uh, I, I, I sat there for the Boise State game. First of all, that was just a hot as hell game in general. Mm-hmm. It was one of the hottest experiences of my life. A, a night game in the Champions Club is a, a a much more enjoyable experience. I routinely look throughout the season or look throughout the uh, stadium during the night and it looked incredible. There weren't open seats. Uh, the Champions Club was was occupied, was engaged. Um, I don't know that you get that more than once or twice a year, but it was it was evident Sunday night. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, 
All right, let's go ahead and take a question here from uh, from Ryan. Ryan says, uh, FSU had a 57% success rate on passing downs in the second half. What made that possible and is it sustainable? That's an interesting thing there. I will pull up uh, some of their stats here. If Ingram wants to kind of kind of vamp for me here. <laughs> uh, 57% on passing downs in the second half. Well, is it true? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that's true. I think a lot of that is... So I would say it's definitely not sustainable to have a 57% success rate on passing downs, right? Clearly Norvell found something. I didn't realize it was that high, actually. So I can, I can filter here to actually figure out like what each play was. I'm interested to see... Like the, what, I really, what I really want to find here is what did they do um, in terms of like, were they getting those by running the ball on those passing downs, or were they getting those, you know, by throwing the ball on those passing downs? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. The more I think about it, I'm kind of skeptical about this number as well. Um, not that you know, I think Ryan's lying to us, but I am having a hard time pairing a 57% success rate with what I saw for uh, for much of that half, unless there's just well, Mc, Milton really didn't get that many snaps, so fluctuate a number that much. Well, I, I, I'm able to filter this, right? So I, I went ahead and used uh, filtering third, fourth uh, quarter and overtime. And then I looked at past very likely situations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and also past likely. They actually had a 75% success rate in uh, past likely third down situations in those quarters and a 58% in, uh, in, in second down past likely situations. So that's 13 plays. Looking at the plays here. Um, to take a look at that, let me do Michael's question real quickly. Uh, Michael says, a first game is so hard to judge. Was there actually run-blocking improvement or was Notre Dame playing soft? Was the defense line actually good or was Notre Dame playing poorly? No, the defense line's pretty good. The defense line made a little bit of hay uh, with, with one of Notre Dame's injuries, but Notre Dame recruits as well. We can't sit here and tell you the week before that Notre Dame recruits as well as anybody in the country at offensive line, and then want to qualify that, oh, well, they got one kid dinged up and Florida State, you know, made some hay there. The, the Keir Thomas is a good player. Uh, you hit a home run with a kid from Georgia, all right? Not only is he a hell of a player, he's for, for a transfer, for a Juco kid, it's a hell of a locker room guy as well. I mean, that is a, that's, you're not going to get that lucky in the portal all the time, but you did on that one, at least so far. Um, were they playing soft? They certainly backed off some. I mean, 38 to 20, they changed uh, their defensive game plan, letting you have uh, the run if you chose to take it, and Florida State smartly did. Uh, so they did change their opinion there. I agree with you, Michael. It's really hard uh, to gauge a whole lot from one game, and far too frequently, I think fan bases do so, and particularly with you know either quarterbacks or you know everybody gets the Zapruder film out and judges individual plays with a you know level of uh, magnification that you you don't really any other game but uh no i think i don't think you were sold fool's gold there if you believe that florida state's got a a a pretty damn good uh, pretty pretty good defensive line that i is not a that's not a one-off thing in my opinion so i found some of the plays right um third and seven touchdown florida state jordan travis to jakai douglas for 60 yards the, the second biggest offensive play of the game. Beautiful throw by Jordan, by the way. Just just an absolute dime. Um, third and five, Sean Corbin rushes for three, so that, that's a fail. Uh, third and eight, 
which is third and goal from Notre Dame 8. Jordan Travis touchdown pass to Andrew Parchment. Uh, third and 11, Mackenzie Milton completes to Keyshawn Helton for 15 yards. Obviously, remember that one. And then third and six, uh, Mackenzie Milton incomplete uh, on the bad snap. So those were those are the situations there for the third and fourth down. And then if I take a look at the, the other ones here, second down, passing down situations. Um, Jordan Travis rushes for one. That's not gonna. That's not gonna get it done. Uh, Deshaun Corbin rushes for five on second and ten. Again, that's not really gonna get it done. Uh, Treshawn Ward rushes for nineteen on second and seven. Treshawn Ward rushes for six on second and eight. So both those are our greatest success. Jordan Travis scrambles for twenty-five on second and nine. Deshaun Corbin rushes for nine on second and thirteen, which is yeah, that's a success as well. Uh, I think the key here. And I'm glad I, I brought. I, I went ahead and dug this up. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I was just curious because I don't recall them dropping back and throwing the football super well in those situations. Uh, and in fact, it looks like maybe over half of those successful plays on passing downs in the second half that were graded successful were actually rushes. Yeah, which is tied to Michael's question as well. Yeah. I mean, Notre Dame made some adjustments with how they were going to defend you. And I think that's why I struggled with that as well. I, I thought we were talking... Strictly passing plays there. Um, so, yeah, the, those two questions are kind of interwoven. And, uh, hey, how about, how about Treshawn Ward, man? Uh, that, that's a fun kid to watch run and a level of patience that I know a lot of the guys say, oh, he, he kind of looks like D free because of the number. I'm, I'm hesitant to compare, make that comparison, but uh, the patience, the burst when he decides to go, uh, that's a that's a good quality back there. You got you got some nice options in the backfield, certainly. And I thought Toa Philly ran with a little bit more physicality, and uh, you know you didn't see a ton of him, but what you saw, I was pretty pretty enthused by. Totally agree there. Uh, so let's. We already took Snowman's comment, obviously. Um, did, did you shout out uh, my, my my boy Jarvis Brownlee? Uh, no, I don't believe I did. Didn't we take Snowman's question? I don't know. That oh, I'm sorry. See, I, I got lost on the sheet here because I, I was so lost in my stat sheet trying to figure out exactly. I didn't want to just, I didn't want to blow off Ryan's question. Um, so Snowman says, uh, what were your thoughts on the performance of the secondary? Uh, anyone we, we should be excited about the improvement of? Dent flashed some to me. It seemed better positioned. Jay had a good game from what I could tell. Obviously, he had a couple bad plays. Uh, pretty much agree with Snowman there. Um, you know, I don't know that Gantt is a real, uh, is a major asset right now. Maybe he can get better. As season goes on, uh, I will tell you a guy I was a little bit kind of sad for post injury is Miko Dotson. You know, just he was out there some and didn't really look, uh, didn't look a whole like real quick and stuff. And for a guy who's small, you, you gotta, you gotta be quick. Uh, certainly, I want to see more of Shaheem Brown. Uh, I thought Sidney Williams actually flashed a couple times. Mm-hmm. He was all over the place. Like I can see what they like in him. And then, of course, I mean, look, my guy Jarvis Brownlee is kind of like setting the tone for the whole defense. He's cracking skulls. He's in tight coverage. He plays like with a ton of passion. And yeah, Jarvis Brownlee for president. For president. All this right. This is going to be a good secondary, I think. I really do. It you is. Can, you can play some man coverage. You can be physical. I think they will ultimately be a better red zone secondary than they showed in that game. I think they can probably bully some people down there in the red zone. And uh, if they stop allowing huge explosive plays, which... At times, they did a nice job up in this game. They should be pretty good. Yeah, uh, I'm. Uh, I remain very high on Travis J. I mean, I know he, he took a little bit of his medicine on Sunday night and probably a little humbled. Uh, kid certainly made some decent throws against him. I think he probably intercepts the 
one of the other touchdowns. If he's even got two or three more games under his belt, just needs a little bit more experience. Uh, he makes the interception at the end of the game. That's a, a trash bag, you know, or not a trash bag play. It's just a trash bag stat that uh, looks nice on the back of a baseball card, but otherwise is not necessarily reflective much. But, uh, you know, Travis J is going to be a hell of a player. And, uh, you know, uh, if you listen to this podcast, you, you weren't caught off guard by the fact that Notre Dame had some some pretty good receivers that, uh, you know, that you may not have otherwise. But they lost all their with. production from last year, right. man. I was told. Yeah. Yes, yeah. uh, I know. I know. Keep it, go back and remember who was telling you that, and and which podcast over the summer kept telling you they got some studs who were just hurt all last year. They got some really good guys who'll play in the NFL. We do take our time. We do our research. We we, we care about this product. Mister Bobby has the next question here. Uh, he says more of a comment. Uh, so let's see here. With so much talk of the quarterbacks and so much talk of the offense and the quarterbacks, but how about Fuller in the defense? Uh, through four quarters, they allowed just as many points as the more talented Notre Dame defense and played an offense uh, that projects with multiple NFL draft picks. Notre Dame is a top defensive coach in the, in the industry. The adjustments made throughout the game by Florida State were great, and they started to take some strides at, uh, as a unit. Rewatching last night, I was even more proud um, of some of the individual efforts. Uh, plays like Lundy hanging with Myers on the fourth quarter pass to make it a tough catch that Myers ultimately drops. Uh, looking forward to your analysis and hoping this defensive spark grows more into a flame. So, Bobby, I appreciate your thoughts. I know there's not a ton of questions there. I liked Lundy for the most part. I think you're okay with Lundy and Deloach. We don't need to bag on the linebackers a whole lot. but Deloach is your best linebacker right the, now. The concerns we had are the concerns we had, and it falls off real quickly after those two. Um, and you'll, need to, you'll need to visit the portal th- this fall, I'm very yeah. confident, if your defense wants to take another step forward or avoid yeah. taking a step back, considering that you do lose some important guys on the defensive line. Um, look, man, Adam Fuller deserves credit. Last year uh, was a terrible year for the defense. Uh, however, I mean, there are some other defenses out there who look like they got a whole lot better when they had a staff that wasn't brand new in the COVID offseason. I would point to Michigan State as an example, right? They look much better now that they actually have a, a coaching staff that has been able to teach them up. Now, of course, some teams didn't struggle like that last fall. I think FSU had some cultural problems on this defense as well at times that were uh, that were challenging. Um, sometimes you just got to you, know, you got to feel to figure out how to, how to put all the pieces together and do the right thing there. I'm not trying to ramble here, but look, I, I think Fuller and his staff deserve credit. They said basically we have to take away the run last year Notre Dame just ran all over us we need to play the more high variance game which is pass defense maybe we'll get the bounces and the throws in our our favor maybe they'll catch some wind and sail or maybe maybe our guys will shut them down but we're going to play a lot of solos on the outside we're going to see if you can beat us there we're going to try to give our inside guys as much help as possible on Mayer and we are going to rely on our front largely to stop the run. And they, the backers were, were pretty clean most of the night. you got to give a lot of credit to Odell Hagans for getting Fabian Lovett into a legitimate force. I thought Robert Cooper did some nice things as well. Keir Thomas is not a great pass rusher, but he's pretty good against the run. And it's like, yeah, that's, a, that's like an, in an NFL terms, like that's a nice veteran piece you signed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Probably yeah. not like a super mega contract, but like that's a guy that can help our defense out this year. Great and man. as an NFL guy, you're happy about it. A lot you know? of flexibility. But I yeah. like what you can do with him. Really, exactly. Do. Like you'll probably need to play some more three-man front in some of these games coming up. I suspect 
probably some more of that like three two stuff. Um, you know, I'm I'm interested to see where this defense goes, but I saw a lot of positive there. I did. Notre Dame, most of their big plays, I would say, were earned, which is what you want. You didn't want to just give them away. Had a couple giveaways, but most of them were earned. Defensive line looked good. And look, compare the run fits last year to this year. Night and day. We can talk about Chris Morrow's recruiting and how I'm not impressed with it at this point. But his backers were not running around like chickens with their head cut off. They knew where to be. They quick, quickly ID'd the play. It did help that the defensive line was a steady win against the Notre Dame offensive line, which is awesome. But those guys got those guys triggered. They got downhill quickly, and they, they did a pretty good job there against the run. I'm trying to be positive, so we're not really going to talk about linebackers' pass coverage right now, but read between the lines. Lee says it was a great game. In fact, it was his first night game at Doak, and uh, it was his fir- wife's awesome. first time ever at Doak. So it's a nice way to introduce her. Uh, her team resides in Tuscaloosa and did us all a favor on Saturday. Yes, they de- did, Lee. It was uh, all about the W, as uh, as Alabama put out in the graphic, uh, which is cool. Which they really? Yes, all about the U. Double. Uh, The O-line still had its past struggles, but how much of that was due to being unable to actually block for Jordan Travis running himself into pressure? And what's up with the centers and several bad snaps? Yeah, that's really frustrating. I mean, it's it's, it's not new. Um, Doesn't mean it's not frustrating. Doesn't mean that it's kind of absurd that you ask McKenzie Milton to make a crazy play where you're, you know, trying to win a game and the ball's bouncing around at his ankles and if that was only but the the one bad snap, uh, we would be, you know, okay. But unfortunately, it's just the fact of the matter. 53 struggling with some stuff right now. Uh, it would appear from a health perspective, Bavion Johnson's never been great at snapping the ball. Uh, I mean, that's as, as simple as, as I can put it. And it's strange that a guy would be labeled the number one center in the country and, and have troubles with that. But it's just the, the fact of the matter. Um, I want to say this. Certainly, Travis had his had his challenges and um, has to work on throwing with anticipation and has to have a better feel for the pocket. But we also need to be fair here and one acknowledge that uh, Notre Dame knew who the quarterback was going to be for about the past two weeks. I mean, they've certainly been. It's not a secret as to what Florida State was probably going to have behind center, and Notre Dame's had eight eight months to prepare for this. I mean, it's uh, a situation last year. Yeah, I mean they, you know, you they they uh, and they came up with a good game plan. They did. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna close the book on Jordan Travis because the way that it looked, uh, you know, he still has some things to work on. And uh, Notre Dame had a really good game plan for him. And for those that you want to call for McKenzie Milton, I certainly get it. But um, even if you want to be hypercritical of McKenzie Milton in some of those, you know, he misses a guy or two, you, whatever the fan base, whatever quarterbacks in front of the fan base, uh, a lot of them are going to be eager to see the other guy. And that's just football 101. So ultimately, I want to see McKenzie Milton play really well because I think the ceiling of this team is higher with him in. I am not a full believer yet that he can do that. We will see. I think he flashed it. That's great. Can we see it more? You know, if you're a coach, you're like, that's pretty cool, but that's weird, man, because we weren't seeing this in practice. You know, um, offensive line, if they get Maurice back, then I think the snapping problems should improve. If they don't, I don't expect any improvement. We've seen this, like you said, 
for plenty of years. It'll continue to be a problem. I hope you don't lose a game because of it. Because I don't, I don't think they're going to, they're going to fix it. It just, it's going to be a problem. Um, but the guards in this game were, were kind of crappy, to be honest. I thought, you know, Gibbons wasn't very good and, uh, and DLT. All right. Been positive for most of the show. It's time for some kind of real talk here. He doesn't look right to me mm-hmm. physically. I know he came out of the game. You and I were both very skeptical when it, when, when, you know, we were told, Hey, we're going to work him at guard. Right. Uh, and my initial thought was, so he's a diminished player because of the injury and they're going to have to put him at guard because he can't play on an island at tackle physically after being your best tackle last year. And I don't know that's accurate, but after one game, I am kind of being like, I think that might have been it. You know? Yeah. That's not good. Because then you got to play what? Gibbons and, and Pope with baby on snapping if, if, if uh, Smith's out. Need to get those guys back and healthy somehow and, and get them back uh, quickly. Because that this offensive line should be better this year if it can stay healthy. But if it doesn't stay healthy, there's no guarantee that it's actually improved from last year. I want to I want to say something real quickly, um, and we don't get into this, and I'm certainly not going to, you know, we're not a bunch of rah-rah guys or whatever else, but I mentioned where I sat. Dante Lucas was one of the more plugged-in individuals and supportive guys of his teammates on the sideline. I, I was blown away by what I saw from Dante Lucas. He was... Uh, he was encouraging. He was invested. He was uh, getting with the program. Really good teammate. I was. That's uh, again. We're not gonna. We're not a bunch of rah rah guys and then worry about that stuff. But for a guy that we've always wanted the best for, and at the same time acknowledged that there was going to be some highs and lows on kind of the EKG of uh, how he goes about through his uh, his career in Tallahassee. Hopefully, that is the sign of positive things to come because that was a that was a guy that. On the uh, from the outside, looked to be a pretty good teammate on on Sunday night. No doubt, man. That that is that is very good to see. Uh, all right, so let's go ahead and uh, t- take uh, take. We already took Lee's one question there. Um, so Logan's question, man. We're almost at the end of the show. This is this is pretty impressive. Uh, I love you all to share some of your biggest surprises and disappointments after Notre Dame, based on your expectations going into the game slash season. So surprise, I was surprised Jordan Travis didn't throw the ball better. Telling y'all stuff out of practice about him actually being a better thrower, it wasn't BS. Like he he literally showed that. And he didn't didn't anticipate very well in the game, didn't seem to handle pressure all that well. And they had a great game plan for him and were largely able to shut him down. Although I will note on some of those early things when the offensive line was just terrible, I'd like to go back and measure like how many yards Jordan Travis saved with ridiculous hero scrambles and throwing the ball away as opposed to taking like enormous sacks. Because uh, there were several of those that it was like, oh my gosh, like if you don't have somebody who's super quick, that's like a nine yard loss. Um, that surprised me a little bit. I would say to the positive size or to the positive side, Fabian Lovett just smoking the interior offensive line for Notre Dame. Demanding double teams. It's like, ooh, okay. And we had just watched Jordan Davis the previous night together at, at Charlie Park, right? And have him destroy Clemson. And he's not Jordan Davis, but that's a guy, man. He keeps us up and keeps improving. He could he could really play on Sundays. That was yeah. a good sign. Like having a, a dominant interior defensive tackle, if if just for one game. And he wasn't dominant every play, but like that guy made a difference. Yep. Yeah. 
Uh, you mentioned Charlie Park on Friday night. Just want to acknowledge we were ever so fortunate to be able to join Chad and Shannon up there. You can go to FSU Home Loans to learn, learn more about the great services that they've provided so many of our listeners. Another two loans closed last week, bud. Uh, you know as well as anybody the type of service and attention that you get from working uh, with Shannon. I think you made a great point a couple of weeks ago and have made it on a couple uh, subsequent shows. Shannon has kind of graduated out of this role, but you get the opportunity to work with a really senior guy who has an incredible level of attention to detail. Shannon gets back to people in a manner that uh, not many do out there. He's, he's pretty remarkable. Uh, great guy. You can reach him at 954-369-6171 or go to FSU homeloans.com. Also want to thank our friends at Congruity. Uh, Matt Lewis and his team were ever so excited to work with them for a second year here. CongruityHR.com is the website uh, that you can go and learn more about their services. If you're looking for help, payroll, HR, any way uh, that you're looking to make your business that much more successful, whether you're a business owner or know with somebody who's uh, looking to try to find help in those areas. Uh, very much excited to work with him again. You can go to congruityhr.com and, uh, and Matt will be up there for our Louisville listener appreciation event. So excited to see him. He was uh, about the only sponsor that we weren't able to hang out with this weekend and look forward to seeing you, Matt, and uh, so many of our listeners over there at Matt. So for the Louisville game. That will be a, a really good time. Um, by the way, the various advanced metrics uh, have come out on. Norvell's fourth down decision, and uh, no surprise, they all say that it's uh, correct. Uh, also, uh, Kurt Weiler of the Tallahassee Democrat, I think Brendan Sano of Knowles 24-7, had this uh, as well. Um, but uh, Norvell was asked about it, and uh, remind me to come back to the Kevin Coleman thing here in a second. I just saw, just saw that one, but Kurt Weiler of the Democrat is the guy I saw tweet this. And uh, Norvell was asked, I think on, on maybe on the Mike Norvell show tonight. And he said, uh, asked forward about the decision to go forward on fourth down inside his own 35 against Notre Dame. FSU coach Mike Norvell said he would make that choice every time. Quote, there are going to be some times that it's going to be a 50-50 call. And that one Sunday was not. The analytics justified the decision. It was definitely the right call. So, uh, here's the thing. I wrote about this on the Knowles 24-7 message board. Be sure to go check those guys out over there. They do an awesome job. I'm really fortunate to be part of that community. Do you remember baseball? And remember the old punting is bunting shirt? Yes. You know, yeah, so a, got a lot a of, our, of those floating around here now. Our, yeah. our OG listeners have those. I think mine might be my, my wife's like uh, sleep shirt drawer. But in baseball, we all grew up that bunting was the right thing, right? You get a runner on, you bunt them over, you bring them in. Like if, you, if you're a kid who, who watched baseball in the 80s or the 70s or even some of the early 90s, that's what you grew up on. That was the right thing to do. And as people studied, they're like, ooh, that's actually not the right thing to do. If you look at it, like when you do that, you increase your chance of losing, which is not really what you want to do as a manager. You want to increase chances of winning. And so a couple of managers started to do it less and they got criticized for not bunting. Why didn't you bunt there? Because people are looking more at you know outcome-based decision-making as opposed to you know, process made, you know, process decision making. And, uh, and then a couple more managers started to do it and those managers won. And so they weren't getting criticized as much. And then front offices essentially started getting more power and they said, you know what? Here's the thing. Um, if you do like ridiculous, dumb bunting, we're going to fire you because we work really hard to put good players on the field and we can't have you giving away outs in games. 
This is happening all across the sport of football now, right? And in baseball, you don't see the dumb bunting nearly as much anymore. Now in football, you are starting to see this more. Everybody is subscribed to these analytics companies. They know what increases their chance of winning. And by the way, it's not just a blanket thing. It's like not like, hey, ju- judge your team's momentum. They buy a chart every week. It literally says things like, what quarter are you in? How much time is left? How many yards left to go to the opponent's end zone, right? Previous success, current score, offensive score, defensive score, Vegas over-under, Vegas spread, things like that, to where you can be like actual chance of winning entering the game. How many long shot stuff do you need to pull off if you want to come back in this game if you're in this situation? And then it's color-coded. Like green means like definitely go, right? On some of these I've seen. Yellow is kind of like feel it out, right? Red is the opposite, probably punt. This is a pretty clear green. Everything I've seen is that this is not a toss-up. It's a go. And to understand that, what you really need to get in the mindset, y'all, is punting in that situation is actually the gamble. You are gambling that your defense can get the ball back quickly to you so you can go and score. Fourth and two needs to be thought of as an opportunity for the offense. It's a very short conversion. Your chance of getting it is actually pretty high. They had a guy open. Jordan Travis just didn't pull the trigger and, and hit Cam McDonald. Yeah. Um, now, you can say the play call wasn't good. I think that's fair if you want to, right? I think if you have JT in there, I might call a run play. Maybe they're thinking Notre Dame thought the same thing, and thus that's why they called the pass play, try to catch him off guard. But here's the thing. Norvell, Norvell is like a baseball manager who's not willing to give away outs. He does not want to give up possessions. In football, outs are like, you know, possessions are like outs in baseball. You cannot be giving up those possessions and just punting them away. Honestly, if Notre Dame had not done so in the first half, they might have blown Florida State out. You know, they they had some several kind of you know, real sketchy punts there in FSU territory that are pretty clear go situations, and they didn't do it. Now, luckily, they executed on the punts extremely well uh, for them, but ultimately. I think Norvell made the right call there. It's it's very counterintuitive. There's a whole lot. I mean, there's probably what, 32 years of my life, I'm 36, to where I would think that's a dumb call. That's not the right thing to do. That just wasn't smart to it. You know what I mean? But now that we know, we, we, we've seen what happened. We, we've broken down all the data. We know that teams that go for it in a situation are much more likely to win based on that game situation or state than, than not. Um. I think if you're an FSU fan, you need to be really happy that that your coach is trying to maximize the win probability. Even if it looks crazy. And he clearly doesn't give a damn about the media criticizing him if they end up getting blown out from it, right? We saw that last year. He would like they were like, you should pack it up and go. No, he's like, well, I'm trying to win the game. Mm-hmm. I know it doesn't give me a great chance, but like the difference in this is like if I punt here, we have a zero percent chance to win. If I go for it, we have a 3% chance to, chance to win. Now, 3% is still kind of crappy, but it's better than zero. And Norvell very clearly wants to try to win games. So he's going to do things that help maximize your chance of winning. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually the next thing that he said in the quote that you took from Kurt there. He, oh. he goes, I, I coach to try to win the games. And, I, and that's what I'm doing there. And, well, then, you know, analytics, but that's also, it's who he is. I mean, it's being a coach that's comfortable with himself and, and staying true to himself. I mean, those are the decisions that he made 
And those are the decisions that I expect him to continue to make as long as he's Florida State's head coach. So, <clears throat> um, hmm. by the way, you want to get a you want to get a quote here from Kevin Coleman? Please, uh, quote: Play calls were crazy, really good, really amazing. It amazed me uh, to see how good their offense did after the game. Uh, I just talked to the coaches and told them uh, good play calling, and they talked to me about how I could have a huge impact on that game. <laughs> good play calling, coach. I do. <laughs> Kevin Coleman kind of cracks me up. Uh, I could, you know, maybe go without like the I need ten thousand followers stuff on Twitter or Instagram. He's building his brand, man. Yeah, he's he's uh he's a wide receiver, definitely. Uh, but you know, hopefully, a guy you can get in the get in the mix because that's that's a level of talent that you might only have one other piece that's similar to it on the roster right now. Good interview there by by Zach Blostein at Knowles twenty four seven. So definitely go go give him a follow as well. Um, all right, we have what one more question tonight to hit? I think. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Oh, actually, we have two. two. Is FSU the first team in the history to have received votes in the AP poll following a three or fewer win se- or three three or fewer win season uh, and a loss in week one? Feels like the answer should be yes, but it seems difficult to find the answer. I'm going to blindly say yes because I don't think anybody has ever had a three win season and then opened the season with a loss and still got votes. Did FSU get votes in this AP poll today? Sounds really, like it. I don't follow uh, the AP poll. But yeah, I can't say that I looked at it, but it certainly sounds like it. When's the last time you were like, I really want to go follow the AP poll? Yeah. <laughs> Probably the last time FSU might be in it, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So yeah. five years. I mean, it's certainly, I think I think part of it's, I think a large part of it's McKenzie. I think a decent portion of it's uh, the passing of Bobby. But it certainly seems as though the there's a, you know, national want for Florida State to not be horrible, uh, or at least a appreciation for uh, the fact that Florida State may not be horrible for the foreseeable future at a level nationally that I haven't uh, heard or noticed in a long while. Or maybe Florida State's just so bad that I haven't much concerned myself with what a lot of national people thought or had to say. But uh, it was interesting that you mentioned that in the in the the instant and obviously being in the press box it's, and, and me, you know, wearing my vocal cords out, screaming in my head like an idiot. I wasn't able to see the national reaction to it, but it's been been interesting to see the past uh, day and a half or so. Uh, All right, so Kyle says, hey guys, looking forward to the pod. Another loss in the opener, but one that gives a lot more optimism than their prior four. Gulp, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Two questions. Uh, There were a number of plays uh, where two uh, wide receivers were in the same spot. Any thoughts as to why this kept happening? Not sure if it's just poor execution. Or otherwise, well, two things. Number one, it can be poor execution. The other thing is that depending on the kind of coverage look you get, sometimes what you're actually trying to do is run some pick stuff or some cross type stuff to where when the ball gets thrown, it looks like there's two guys in the same spot, but because they're actually in motion, it just you know it looks like they're a little bit closer than they are. If they're both running, you know, stop routes right next to each other, that's a problem. Because then one guy can pick off the same pass and kind of kind of cover two dudes. Uh, it's week one, man. There's a lot of sloppiness out there, and FSU's not immune to it. Um, hell, some teams look super good on one side of the ball and not so good on the other. Look at Georgia's defense. Georgia's offense looked like I hadn't practiced all year. Mm-hmm. You know, Georgia's defense looks, looks like they never let him off the practice field. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, the other question is: uh, Travis seems to uh, second guess just about every throw. He'll see a guy, but he waits to throw until he's been open for a second, as opposed to letting it fly to the open spot in the secondary. Um, the only exception was the deep ball. He saw it, he stepped up, delivered a dime. Do you think it's a confidence thing influenced by the picks or general area of weakness in his game that we have to try to live with? 
combination of maybe yeah a um, little bit of both he definitely uh, does not throw with good anticipation i will say that he, just yeah, doesn't, he doesn't do throw with anticipation he's he's also only played 10 games so you know you need to yeah. remember that there's some throws where i'd like to see him put a little bit more mustard on it and he floats it um the the throw to uh jakai was a beauty but i'm pretty that's just a that's just to try to look Hamilton off to the right ever so quickly and then immediately come back to him. I mean, that's pretty much a one route, uh, uh, run route option on that, in my opinion. So uh, I will give him credit for the, <clears throat> I will give him credit for looking Hamilton off and for the throw, but that was not necessarily a, uh, you know, a pass that had a, uh, a series of decisions made in it, in my opinion. So he's got to be more comfortable uh, believing what he sees and he's got a throw of anticipation. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with Kyle that uh, there's too many times where he sees it and wants to, you know, think about it before he lets it go. He's also an incredible runner, but I think far too frequently he just tries to turn a play into into what I would call recess football. You know, I mean, in what in, in when I'm in fourth grade and we're playing in a parking lot and there's six guys aside and nobody knows anything what they're doing, but they're just running around trying to throw the ball. Um, that works occasionally, but you know, you've got to be comfortable operating in a pocket and, and playing a little bit more within the offense. So let me ask you this. Do you think this offense is the pieces to have a rhythm passing game an anticipation passing game? Like I I'm not convinced man with these receivers and like, I don't, you know, my thoughts on Cam McDonald. Like I, I don't know that the best offense with the pieces, all 11 pieces, not just the quarterback, isn't a run-heavy mobile quarterback shot play offense. It's not going to be pretty in the passing game. Mm-hmm. I really don't know if they can protect it. And like obviously Milton, if he's able to play and be healthy and really get it, his quick release can help you there. But like I don't like these receivers. They don't impress me. I don't know that like I, I don't know that, that the best plan here is let's pass protect with this offensive line and try to throw a bunch of, of you know on-time passes to these guys. I'm not buying in on that. I could be wrong. I, I may very well be wrong. I didn't think Florida State was going to score as many points against Notre Dame as they did. Certainly could be wrong. But I don't think it's crazy. Like if you said, hey, ultimately we figured out the best offense for them to run is using Jordan's legs and throwing shot plays. Because Jordan's legs do screw with the defense. I don't think you're going to pop that big Corbin run and some of those runs if McKenzie's in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just don't. But I, 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 I want to see it. I do want to see them try with McKenzie because I think you have you have to be tempted by the upside. I just don't know, man. Like some of these receivers, are like, eh, okay, we'll see. Not, not good players. Final question: of The evening comes from Trey. Trey says, assuming both are healthy, will the QB game? This is pretty similar, but will the QB game install determined be by the opponent as much as anything else? It would seem to reason that some opponents might read a defensive scheme where Milton might be a better fit, and some teams will run a scheme where JT might be the better option. Would you really want to expose Milton's potentially fragile health to Clemson's front seven? No, uh, I would not want to do that, um, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've kind of talked about this, Trey. Uh, Certainly, and I'm not, you know, your question comes as last. No, I'm not... uh, uh, Naturally, a lot of this stuff's already been covered. Uh, if we assume that the D-line is really as good as we saw on Sunday and we'll stay that consistent, 
does the fact alone adjust win totals by one whole number? Forget every other potential positive factor we possibly could take away from Sunday. Having a very strong D-line is such a difference, especially against marginal teams in the ACC, who we all think can be coin flip games, uh, such as Wake, Louisville, uh, NC State, or BC. I, I do think it is a, uh, a legitimate improvement, but I'm not going to be willing to, to increase my win totals by that much just yet, just based on the defensive line, until I get a little, little more information about uh, about the offensive line's health, and, and I want to see more out of McKenzie Milton. Like if you're telling me FSU is a legit pass game, yeah, I'm going to increase my win total, y'all. Just going to tell you right now. If they really can throw the football, if McKenzie Milton is some sort of wizard, you know, and can make these receivers viable pass catching threats, then I will be increasing my my win my win projection. But at this point, I'm, I'm just not willing to go you know, that much up. Yeah, uh, Trey, I'm I'm pretty close with where you are. I mean, if if I see this a couple more times and we have. Cons- consistency and a level of confidence that this is what the D-line looks like. I mean, we'll tell again, we've talked all about how Wake Forest is a, is a big game. And I, I mentioned this in the win expectations uh, or win probability. I'm thrilled that's not a noon game. Uh, you know, 3.30 isn't that much of a difference, but, uh, you know, you're not going to have, <laughs> you're not going to have 72,000 people. You're not going to have an environment that's, that's ridiculous. You're going to have an environment that's similar to some high school football games. You're going to have to come and play hard against Wake Forest, and they don't have that ridiculous mesh that they used to, but it's still a little bit of a different offense. Uh, and if the defense of line, you see a similar performance, then yeah, I'll feel pretty confident about what you have in there and, and start to walk down the road of, of having a little bit more confidence as to what the base level of this team is. Because if you can control the line of scrimmage and if you can push the interior around some, then yeah. Some of these, some of these coin flip games in the ACC, I feel a whole hell of a lot better about. I think that's fair. Uh, I will note, you know, Wake did not look great against Old Dominion. There's, but again, like I said, what we don't know is week one. Is that like you could tell me that this is FSU's kind of base level, like their middle of the road level this year? I could buy that. You could tell me this is the best they'll look all year, and if injuries happen, I could t- certainly buy that. It's hard for me to imagine that this is the worst they're going to look all year, right? Like, so what I, what I think is is helpful or maybe instructive is think about how an opponent played from like one of your future opponents played, and then say, where does that fall within their range of outcomes on the season? Like, what is that their B game, their A game, their F game, their D game? Like, that's probably Louisville's what like C minus game last night, mm. maybe D plus. They, they they came out, they look they look rattled. They could just quit on the whole year. I doubt they're going to play that bad in every game. Yeah. Do you think FSU will play this well in every game? Going to have to see it. Yeah. Going to have to see it. Right. I agree. Uh, I think that's all we got for tonight. Uh, Roche, got your question and uh, going to uh, going to save that for uh, for the preview pod because we are at like an hour and 20 here. I think it's actually a better question uh, than, than throwing it there at, in the hour and 20 minute mark. So we'll save that for next week. Awesome, man. Um, yeah, anything else we want to touch on? I know that we had a chance to hit on almost everything organically there uh, based off the questions. But um, yeah, that's about it for me. I will say one thing real quickly, subject to moral victories, uh, you know, whether or not you want to believe those or not. I'll, I'll simply say that I would remove this from a category of moral victories because what you did on the recruiting trail was very real. 
yeah. and you're not stretching for anything there. I mean, you're going to, that has the chance to have a pretty significant long-term impact on the trajectory of the program. Uh, so, you know, win, loss, overtime, heartbreak, whatever, you put a really, really good foot forward on the recruiting trail and it's going to pay significant dividends for you. 100%. All right, buddy. I uh, will see you very soon. Awesome. All right, man. Thanks so much for the listens. Uh, we'll be back with the preview pod. We've got a fun little game show that we're going to play. Uh, we didn't want to oh, waste this. on yes. this one. So no, that did not. A uh, <laughs> couple beers might you have been that in system, bud, but it didn't get lost on me. Don't you worry. Uh, so yeah, we'll do that. And um, I think we'll, we'll tr- we may try to do that one live. I know we've had some requests for uh, a couple more live shows. So uh, we'll tweet that out with the Jack's, uh, Jack State preview because Lord knows we need to need to liven it up a little bit for that one. So uh, this has been great. Really appreciate it. If you can give us five star on iTunes or hit the all the all the silly requests that, that everyone bell, makes with every piece gone. of content. So when we go live, you get the notification. The bell is tied to the live. Uh, watch it. Subscribe. Send us money. You know uh, all the all the great things. No, I'm kidding. Uh, been a been a nice little start to the season. Great weekend. Look forward to the next game. We'll be back with you later on this week. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith. Music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.